Everybody, we thank you for joining us for Sunday School Bonanza. It's brought to you by those of us at This Week in Mormons at thisweekinmormons.com. Shoot us an email if you would. Contact at thisweekinmormons.com. And if you enjoy this, by the way, if I can shamelessly plug more stuff that I do, join us for our Gospel Study Sesh, which is our email gospel study group that we've had, with which we've had rousing success through the latter part of this year. You can go to thisweekinmormons.com, sign up for the mailing list, check the little box over in the left sidebar. You're golden. Then you get to be a part of all the fun. So that being... Uh, as I said before, the things that I said, Patricia Oxier is here, and she's on the edge of her seat. Her own words. Yes. I am on the edge of Look my seat. Look at the effervescence that exudes from her being. She is so pumped to be here. Sometimes I honestly can't tell if Patricia doesn't like me. I really don't know. <laughs> I honestly can't tell. So uh, lesson 42 is the one we're hitting here. Continuing revelation to Latter-day Prophets. I love this lesson because it's very much bringing everything up to our day. Most of what we talk about in this lesson, honestly, takes place uh, past 1950 up until now. So, And I think the great thing I learned from that is that Revelation happens today. It is not something that is restricted just to the sections of the Doctrine and Covenants, etc., etc. It's not just a Restoration Era practice. Um, there's a great quote here from John A. Witso. Someone asked him. He was in a discussion with a group of stake officers. And they said, hey, Brother Witso, how long has it been since the church received Revelation, churchwide revelation. Then Brother Witso rubbed his chin, and I believe he had a wonderful goatee, rubbed his chin thoughtfully and said in reply, oh, probably since last Thursday. What a trump card to play. He's just like, that's right, stake leaders. I'm in the 12 and I know what's up. <laughs> last, since last Thursday, this is what happened. So let's talk about a bit of this today, leading off with uh, church correlation. Now, before I get to that, I want to read Doctrine and Covenants section 1, Verses 37 and 38. And let's look for the key point here to, to take home. Okay, let's look It says, for search it. these commandments, for they are true and faithful, and the, prophe- and the prophecies and promises which are in them shall all be fulfilled. What I, the Lord, have spoken, I have spoken, and I excuse not myself. And though the heavens and the earth pass away, my word shall not pass away, but shall all be fulfilled, whether by mine own voice or by the voice of my servants, it is the same. Patricia, what's the key takeaway from that? Um, well, you know, section one is actually one of those sections of the Doctrine and Covenants that was published out of order. It wasn't actually given first, but the Lord chose this section to be um, the introduction to the Doctrine and Covenants. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's important to highlight that he's talking about, yeah, the specifically search these commandments is in the Doctrine and Covenants. But I think it goes further and just says, you know, and this isn't all you're going to receive, whether, whether right. it's by mine own voice or the, by, by the voice of my servants, it is the same. We have an open canon of scripture. And, um, you know, you'll continue to receive um, truth and knowledge uh, from God. Exactly. And so one of the interesting things that was the result of this truth and knowledge, what was called the correlation program of the church. Now, the point of this, of course, was really just to sort of rein in a lot of stuff. The church had grown a lot, but stuff wasn't centralized. And so you found a lot of local unit stakes. People prepared their own curriculum, their own flyers. Uh, Things were not centralized. And you know, for better or worse, we've correlated stuff today. And what that really means in the sense is it's, well, I'll read three things. It maintains the purity of doctrine. We emphasize the importance of the family and of the home. Uh, you place all of the work in the church under priesthood direction, establish proper relationships among the organizations of the church so that we actually have sort of a hierarchy, an organizational tree, an org chart, uh, achieving unity and order in the church and ensuring the simplicity of church programs and materials, which I imagine that's a huge one. Right. Uh, One of the problems they faced during this time was that uh, 
oftentimes Eunice would publish things that were, that were quotes from general authorities or other leaders that did not actually support the church's official positions on certain issues. And that, a lot of that is what sort of drove this correlation desire. And that's why we have today, everything comes down from Salt Lake. Another big benefit, though, is you can travel anywhere in the world and pretty much hit within the same couple of lessons for Sunday school. Mm-hmm. Have, you won't always have the same sacrament meeting topics, but you'll have the same general ideas. The same things are happening around the church. Right. And, that's, and that is a unifying thing, I think, for the saints. You know, mm-hmm. like we say, the church is the same everywhere you go. That is the result of the correlation program. Mm-hmm. Now, the lesson does point out that even though we did go through, through this correlation effort and the hierarchies of the church leadership was established, we are still not... A, we're still not saved necessarily as a church organization, but we're saved as families and that the family should be the central place for gospel teaching and leadership. So even these auxiliaries and quorums and programs, our activities are part of the church. They're there really there to strengthen and support the family, Mm -hmm. um, which is of course why they established family home evening and why we should put family home evening as a um, priority in our homes to, um, Make sure that the correlation of the church um, effort is really there to supplement our work that happens in families. Exactly. I mean, nothing works without the family. Right. The family's at the core of everything. The church is just sort of the the frosting. The sort of it's supposed to be the support apparatus, it's not supposed to be the main foundation of everything. So, isn't it amazing that family home evening did not exist until I believe the President McKay era? Yeah. What did people do before that? Well, just I mean, hung, hung out, <laughs> talked about the stock market crash. I mean, what did you do? The war? Well, I think probably um, that might have been more of a preparation for time now where I, I think back then you um, you had more time in the home and things were more centered on the home. So I think it's great that we started it then mm-hmm. because now when there's so many activities to pull us away from the home, so many, you know, practices and um Oh, and just and, societal pressure and custom yeah. and everything as well. I so mean, I think it's good that we establish it a pattern that we were going to spend time. Yeah. And it's very interesting you said that because back in the day not to oversimplify, but you know, it was kind of like a leave it to beaver society in many ways of the family life. So it's interesting today because many people will say that the church is very 1950s sort of in our, our cultural mindset. But that's because it, it came from an era when we could rely more on families. And I like that. We try to carry that forward today because it was a good thing and we don't want to lose that. Another simple thing here, the operation of church auxiliaries, I alluded to it a little bit more before, but, um, yeah, everything had gotten a little bit in disarray, and uh, and these organizations became very complex. I mean, could you imagine if you had an autonomous young men's program today, just running around, running amok, doing what it wants, no direction from Salt Lake? Mm-hmm. So, of course, it was important to bring all that in to ensure the purity of the doctrine that everything was uh, being taught appropriately. Of interesting note, though, we don't talk about this. Many auxiliaries really pushed back against this correlation effort. It was it was somewhat controversial even amongst the brethren back in the 50s when they were attempting to do this. There were many who did not favor it, actually. I, be, I believe a big pusher of it was Harold B. Lee, but Hubie Brown, for example, was not a big fan of it. A lot of people thought that it overly centralized stuff and took autonomy away. It's kind of funny. We see it's, it's like the same like federal states' rights issues, right? But mm-hmm. uh, it's interesting, but I think we've done well with it, and we definitely see the benefits of it today that we have this. Uh, everything's clean, much better. Yeah. Um, something else that has happened um, in the 70s was the preparation of church publications in terms of um, that's, you know, we had a lot of publications going around. We had the Improvement Era. We had publications from the Relief Society and the Priesthood and uh, the Millennial Star and all these things. And so the instructor, I never even heard of that I one. I have never yeah, even heard of that one. It was one of them. Um, but during the 70s, they, they, 
centralized everything into the new era and the enzyme and um and then lesson manuals and church magazines and all these things were you know just supposed to center the doctrine you know it make it so that these doctrines and everything that was published by the church and in the church's name was actually a reflection of hmm. the church doctrine okay. so everything that is published in the church's name it has to go through correlation and that means you know being seen by uh, the brethren. Exactly. Everything goes through that. Then home teaching. Amazing that that also did not exist before. Then I think we've always had a, a good fraternal mindset. We have a good zeitgeist within the church of trying to take care of one another, really look out for each other. But it wasn't until the correlation era that home teaching became an official practice. Uh, I have a, a deep and abiding passion and love for the home teaching program. I have had great experiences with it where some people have just said, hey, I haven't had home teachers for years. Thank you for calling me. And uh, I no one's perfect with it. I am certainly not Mr. 100% all the time, but it has great value. I, I just It's something I appreciate so much, both being visited and really having the opportunity to serve other people. It's mm-hmm. not just go share a message once a month and then be like, well, call us if you need something. You know, It's just know people, look out for them, and ideally, you're supposed to use that to report to your elders quorum president, who then can report to the bishop if there are issues that need to, to be addressed, families that are in trouble and that need help. That's the whole point of being a home teacher. You know, you are, we're sort of the, the boots on the ground for a bishop to really see how the ward is doing on a daily basis. Right. And it's just another way um, of organizing the work and organizing um, the people so that we right. can help each other effectively. Yeah. Um, another example of continuing re- revelation is the revelation from... Um, in 1978, in which the priesthood was extended to every worthy male member of the church. And this uh, revelation was is really important in my family, especially because my parents, um, when my parents got married, my dad was not a member of the church and he okay. investigated for a long time. And when, um, when this revelation was received through President uh, Spencer W. Kimball, my it really softened my dad's heart huh. and really pre- provided the precipitating action for him joining the church. That's awesome. Yeah. I didn't know that. And yeah, I mean, I can't even add to that. I think it's obviously one of the most landmark things that we've had happen in the past 50 or 60 years in the church. I mean, that's why it's official declaration too in the Doctrine and Covenants. Mm-hmm. Speaking of, many of us keep wondering when the proclamation of the family will become official declaration three. I just see it happening at some yeah, point. But who I knows? do too as well. Uh, sliding into that, into publications of scriptures, um, that was another big thing that happened because of Revelation. It was in 1979, after a lot of work and direction, um, the church published a Latter-day Saint edition of the Bible. This is a huge deal. Before that, we used the King James Version, and that's still what we have. But of course, this edition of the Bible has special study aids, it has footnotes, it has the Bible dictionary, the topical guide, the maps, all that stuff that you've seen and that many of you who listen to this podcast have remembered for your entire lives, myself included. The only scriptures I know Mm -hmm. is what we have in the quad. You know, that's what's always been there. So think about how radical it was that they were able to get this great anatized version of the Bible. And then likewise, in 1981, the church published a new edition of the triple combination, which had expanded footnotes and, of course, greater footnotes in relation to the Bible, really bringing everything together. So we did not have the quad itself until 1981. And that is... uh, that's remarkable. And that, that is so, so valuable to the Latter-day Saints. Especially, I love being able to read the Old Testament and look in the footnotes and see something that references like the book of Mosiah somewhere. Right. How it's all, you know, stick of Judah, stick of Joseph, 
all right. coming together. Uh, one thing the lesson doesn't mention that you might want to just be aware of, just a couple of years ago, the church finally finished a lengthy translation and uh, annotation program for the scriptures in Spanish. We had a triple combination for a long time, but they did not they did not have a church-published version of the Bible. Now Spanish-speaking saints also have the exact same uh, benefits and opportunities as the English-speaking ones in terms of the full breadth of the uh, the footnoted, translated, put-together scriptures, which is super cool. I just think it's great. Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, uh, Jeff, you alluded to the stick of Judah and the stick of Ephraim um, being united. And so, you know, the publication of the of these scriptures is the fulfillment of prophecy. And Elder Packer um, said of this, the stick or record of Judah, the Old Testament and the, and the New Testament, and the stick of the record of Ephraim, the Book of Mormon, which is another testament of Jesus Christ, are now woven together in such a way that as you pour over one, you are drawn to the other. As you learn from one, you are enlightened by the other. They are indeed one in our hands. So it's a great blessing that we can study from the words of the gospel throughout the centuries together in one centralized location. Yeah, we're, we're pretty dang lucky, honestly. If you want to think about things to be grateful for in these latter days, it's that we have these wonderfully put together sets of scriptures that can help us a ton. Mm-hmm. Now, Patricia, before we go, I have a question for you. How many quorums of the 70 are there today? There are, you know... I'm trying to find where it says this in the lesson. No, I'm just, this is just a straight question. <laughs> I I'm know. seeing what you five. know. Five. There are five. You are correct, madam. Now, <laughs> um, what happened in 1975? How many quorums were there before 1975? Let's say one. Sort of. It was actually just the presidency of the 70, like oh. we have today. It was seven guys. That's it. That was the whole 70s. Back oh, okay. Then. In 75, they organized the first quorum of the 70. 1989, further expansion came when they organized the second quorum of the 70. We know by scriptures, of course, you know, we talk about 70 times seven. So presumably we could have seven quorums of 70 with 70 people each. If you look today, the first and second quorums, neither of them have 70 members each. In fact, the second quorum is sort of depleted to all-time lows right now. There's like five of them in there for some reason. Hmm. But um, Now, on top of that, you referenced five before, right? Yeah. So there's five today. That was because for a very long time, we had things called area authorities in the church. They were just guys who just kind of oversaw an area, but they weren't 70s. They just kind of worked in tandem with them. And it was in 1997 uh, that uh, President Hinckley reorganized things and reorganized the area authority 70s as uh, mem- area, sorry, he reorganized the area authorities as area authority 70s. And that's when they organized the third, fourth, and fifth quorums of the 70s. Uh, the big difference here, they are not general authorities. They still maintain their day jobs. This is a calling like any other calling you would have if you're not a general authority. Um, and so they, can, you know, they, they carry on like that. It's an interesting way of doing things. That's why when you get the end sign after conference, you don't see pictures of the area authority 70s because they're not general authorities. But if you wonder why sometimes President Uchtdorf gets up there and reads a very long list of people who are released and then called, most of those are area authority 70s. Mm-hmm. But they do need to be called in general conference. They're not called in the state conference or anything like that. So mm-hmm. it's pretty cool. Further organization, further helping. Yeah, and President Hinckley said, with these respective respective quorums in place, we have established a pattern under which the church may grow to any size with an organization of area presidencies and the area authority 70s chosen and working across the world according to, to need. Now the Lord is watching over his kingdom. He is inspiring its leadership to care for its ever-growing membership. Yeah. And I love the way it's broken down. Even at the level of the 12, not every member of the 12, but most of them have they have a broad regional authority. Within that, you have area presidencies, which are typically 70s. And then within that, you have, you know, 
you have uh, third, fourth, fifth quorums of the seven. You're all breaking stuff down to look after people. And, and then organize. S- then stakes, districts, wards, people, units, the home teacher. Mm-hmm. All goes down, right? My wife is looking at me and I can't tell what she thinks. It's so difficult for I me. I think she's a fan. I hope so. Anyways, Patricia, we're so glad you were here. Thanks for having me. I believe Patricia's finishing out the year on this one too, folks. So send her your love for the great job she has done Please. with Yay. the Doctrine and Covenants manual. I appreciate it. She's been great. Lesson 42, everybody. This is Continuing Revelation to Latter-day Prophets, brought to you by Sunday School Bonanza. We're your homies over there at Dis Week and Moments. Yo, Dis Week and Moments, yo. All right. So we'll see you all on the flip side. All right. Bye-bye.